here with you this evening. As they mentioned, my name is John Green. I'm the pastor at Wallace Memorial Baptist Church here in North Knoxville. I'm good. I'm good. I like being close to you. So um, a lot of you students uh, attend church with us and uh, glad to have all of our college students a part of, of what God's doing in our church. And I'm thankful to Rodney for inviting me to be here tonight and to share with you. And uh, I, I believe God's put a word on my heart uh, for you as you're preparing to finish up the semester, uh, the semester and head home over Christmas. And so I want to start out tonight by letting you know that I wasn't always a pastor. I didn't, I didn't come out of my mother's womb in a suit with, a, you know, with one of those ear microphones on or anything like that. But I did grow up in a pastor's home. And so uh, if, if, you're, if that's your experience or you know PKs is what they call us, uh, we grew up in church all the time, right? When I grew up, I was there on Sunday mornings and on Sunday nights and on Wednesday nights and other nights. And we'd lock the church doors and unlock the church doors, all that kind of stuff. So I grew up at church a lot. Uh, in fact, I probably knew more Bible verses than most of the deacons. You know, I mean, I, I knew a lot about the Bible, knew a lot about the Lord. I knew a lot about church. I went on mission trips with our youth group all over the country uh, and uh, brought my friends to church. I did all those kind of churchy things. But underneath all of it, I was a young man who was really struggling hard with sin in my life. Um, I would describe myself as somebody who was, who was filled with pride. That was, that was one of the sins that I really was dealing with in my life as, as a teenager. And uh, I was the senior class president. I was the starting point guard on our basketball team. I was voted best all around in my senior class. I was in the top 10% academically in this class of over 500 students. Uh, I, I got a full scholarship to a liberal arts college because of my grades and all the activities that I was involved with. Had a lot of great things going on, and I was full of myself because of it, right? I, I thought that that I was incredible. I was also a person who was filled with lust. Uh, I was dating a lot of girls, sometimes at the same time, uh, and was doing all of those kind of things as well. And I was a person who would use foul language, coarse language, not in front of my parents, but when I was out with my friends and when I was out in, in the community and stuff like that. And so on the outside, I looked exactly like the sort of son that you wish your boy would be and the sort of guy that you wish your daughter would date. That's what I looked like on the outside. But on the inside, I was really far from God. And all of that came crashing down for me in my senior year of high school. So I was just younger than a lot of you that are in this room, just a couple years younger. And so I was at church on a Sunday morning, and my dad, as I mentioned, was the preacher. He's preaching this, this message. I don't even remember what it was at this point, but I know that the Holy Spirit was really all over me that morning. And I was convicted strongly in my heart uh, that, that what was on my inside didn't match on my, what was on the outside. I was bearing no fruit in my life of someone who was walking with the Lord. And so I knew that I wasn't a Christian and that I needed to be saved. But I was terrified to say that out loud because everybody thought I was a Christian. 
Everybody thought that, I mean, I had everybody fooled, or so I thought. And so he's preaching this sermon, and I'm feeling convicted, and it comes to the end of the service, you know, where they have the, the invitation time, and they sing, like, all, all seven verses of Just As I Am, you know. And, and I'm standing there, and, and I grab a hold of the back of the, of the, of the uh, pew in front of me like this, and I was, I can remember, I was holding it so tight that my knuckles were turning white, you know, because I knew if I, if I let go of it, I would go down the aisle, right? Uh, and so I'm just sitting there holding on tightly to this, and I, and I held all the way through the, the invitation. And I was like, good, I made it through. But the Holy Spirit isn't confined to just that sanctuary, right, you know? And so I went home that afternoon, and I was sick at my stomach. I mean, I was li- literally, I felt sick in my stomach. Uh, because the Holy Spirit was convicting me so bad. And so we had Sunday night church then, and so I went back that night for church. The only problem was that that night they were doing this huge, like, choir program or something. So there was, like, three times as many people there that night as there was that morning. I should have gone down in the morning, you know. There wasn't as many people, you know. So that night I'd made up my mind that I was going to go. And so, that, like I said, there were so many people that I had to sit up in the balcony, and I was sitting in the, in the, in the aisle, like on, in the floor on the aisle. There were so many people there. And when the invitation came, I went down front, and, and I spoke with my dad, who was my pastor, and I said to him, I need to get saved. And, and I, was, I prayed with him. I trusted in Christ as my Savior. I was born again at that moment uh, and was baptized just a couple weeks later. And my life changed radically. God changed me on the inside, and it began to change how I looked and behaved on the outside with other people. In fact, I changed so much that everybody at school started saying, what happened to John? Like, something's different about him. In fact, there was this girl named Divya Patel who was from a Hindu family that was in a lot of my honors classes. And and she said, there's something so different about you, I want to know what happened. And so she wanted to go to church with me. And so she came to church with me, and she got saved. And so what I'm telling you is this, that there's power in the name of Jesus to change your life. To change your life, just like he changed my life. And there might be some people in this room tonight that are perhaps skeptical of Jesus. There might be people in this room tonight who are um, struggling deeply with various sins in your life. And I want you to know tonight that Jesus can change your life. And so I want to point us to a passage of scripture. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 8. And in Luke chapter 8, we're going to look at verse 26 and following. The word of God says, Then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And many times it had seized him, and though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into deserted places. What is your name, Jesus asked him. Legion he said, because many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to banish them to the abyss. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside, and the demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs, and he gave them permission, and the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. 
when the men who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported in the town in the countryside. And people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered. And all the people of the Gerasene region asked him to leave them because they were gripped by great fear. So getting into the boat, he returned. And the man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him. But he sent him away and said, go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. And so this event occurs after the calming of the storm. And they, they sail on across the sea to the other side. And in verse 27 it says, he comes out on the land, he's met by this man that's possessed by demons and who had not put on clothing for a long time, was not living in a house, but he's in the tombs. So I want you to get a picture of this guy in your mind, okay? He's disturbing. This is a man who is possessed by demons, running around naked, living among tombs with dead bodies, all right? So this is a pretty horrific type of existence that this guy has. And in Mark's gospel, when he tells this story, he says that constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. And so this is a, a sort of a, a, a wretched existence that this guy has. And obviously, all the people in the region are terrified of this guy. I mean, everybody, everybody knew about this guy, but nobody wanted to ever talk to this guy. They wanted to stay far, far away from this man. When I see the story about this guy, I honestly feel sorry for him. Because this is a guy who's, who's pitiful. I mean, at one point in time, this man was a man and a woman's little boy that played with blocks in the village, right? But now he's out there gashing himself with blocks in the wilderness, at one point in time, this was a little boy who would wake up scared in the middle of the night and cry out for his mom and dad. And now this is a little a man who is out crying and howling all night long and making everybody else scared at night. But he hadn't always been this way. And so this man that Jesus encounters in this passage of scripture is a picture of the devastation of evil in a person's life. His life is now in shambles. And that's exactly what sin will do in our lives. What you see in the life of this man ought to give you pause about sin in your life. As you see what it's done to him. John tells us in John 10 verse 9 that the thief comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. And here's a visualization of that verse. He's come and he is... He is a thief who is killing and stealing and destroying this man's life. And so what he's, what he's showing us here is that sin is not a plaything. Oftentimes, we sort of try to diminish sin in our lives. We, we, I mean, we even use words like, I made a mistake or I messed up, right? Um, in a way to sort of minimize what, we have, what we've done. But we need to see sin for what it is. 
Instead of, of sort of covering it over or minimizing it, we should expose it in our lives. Because sin is rebellion against a holy God. And sin is never downplayed by God in the scriptures. He's always identifying sin. He's always condemning sin. In fact, sin is what cost Jesus his very life. And so it's nothing to toy with. It leads to death. And so sin will reap consequences in your life also. We see it happening in this man's life. I want you to know it will happen in your life also. You might not see them right away. But that's what's even more scary. Because the fact that sometimes we don't see the consequences right away, it makes us more brazen in our sin. Like we think we're getting away with it. But it's not free. It always collects on its debt eventually. And it's going to devastate your life just like it does this man's life. And so what began as a temptation in this man's life, grows into this demoniac that we see in this passage of scripture at some point he gave in to sin and it felt good for a little while and it seemed good for a little while and then it began to take hold of his life and began to destroy his life in fact you see that he isolated himself from his family from his friends from his village as sin began to grow in him and began, in fact, to dominate who he was. In James chapter 1, verse 14 through 16, James writes, Each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So don't be deceived, my beloved brother. He shows us the, the sort of uh, growth pattern of sin in our lives. And so Jesus comes up to this man, and, he, and he's bringing him back to reality. He gets at his humanity by asking him what his name is. Right? This is a man who's been isolated, who, who probably hadn't spoken to another human for a long time. And Jesus comes up to him, he says, tell me, what is your name? In verse 30 and 31, he says back to Jesus, my name is legion for many demons had entered him and they were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss and so the man responded not with a name but with a number y'all catch that legion was a, a roman army unit right and so uh it would consist of thousands of soldiers even sometimes up to as many as six thousand soldiers in mark's gospel when he tells us this story he, he tells us that the that herd of of pigs consisted of about 2,000 pigs. And so let's just use a one-to-one -one ratio here. If it's a one-to-one -one ratio, then there's probably around 2,000 demons inside of this man. So this is, this is what's going on in this, in this man's life. And so it's no wonder then that he's tormented like he is out here in the wilderness. Evil has taken him over. And that's what sin will do in your life. You'll begin to identify yourself with your sin. That's what he does. He says, tell me your name. My name is a lot of demons, is what he says. He didn't give Jesus his name. He says, I am completely filled with evil. And we can allow our identity 
to be taken over by our sin as well. Our identity is supposed to be found in Christ. Our identity is supposed to be found as someone who is created in the image of God. Someone who is made to have relationship with God. This is who God says that I am. But what we do sometimes is we identify ourselves by our sin. That's what Satan wants you to do. And so instead of saying, I struggle with alcohol, I'm an alcoholic. You've named yourself by your sin. Uh, Instead of someone who struggles with the truth, you're a liar. Instead of someone who struggles with with lust, you're a pervert. Instead of someone who struggles with same-sex attraction, you're a homosexual. Uh, Instead of someone who struggles with pride, you're an egomaniac. Right? We, we name ourselves by our sin. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do in your life. He wants you to be bound in your sin, to be shackled in your sin, to be stuck in your sin. That you don't see yourself as anything else. That your life couldn't be anything else than this. In Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 5, when he tells a story, he says, No one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles were broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And so, although this demon-possessed man had such incredible physical strength that he was able to break physical chains, There were these spiritual chains in this man's life that had bound him in such a way that he couldn't break free. And for some people, sin might be making that sort of hold in your life. You've given yourself over to your sin. But I want you to hear me again when I tell you that the power of Jesus can set you free from any sin in your life. Satan can and will send all that he has to try and torment you and to draw you away from God. How do I know that? Because he even tried it on Jesus himself when he was in the wilderness and he went out after him and tried to tempt him. But Jesus never gives in to sin. And he's the hero in this passage of scripture. He's the hero in my story and he should be the hero in your story as well. He can set you free. And so there's this amazing display of power and of authority that Jesus has to destroy what Satan had done in this man's life. In Matthew's gospel, when Matthew tells this story, he says about this man that that they were so extremely violent that no one would pass by that way. And so... This man was so violent, so scary, that everybody stayed clear of him. But Jesus goes right up to him. Jesus was not terrified of this man. Although everybody else was. In fact, it's the opposite that happens in this passage. In verse 28, when they see Jesus, he cries out and falls before him and says in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torment me. And so you have the demons that are scared of Jesus when he comes up to this man there in the wilderness. The demons knew exactly who he was. He was Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. They knew exactly what he could do. They beg him, do not torment us. 
And so in verse 31, they're imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. And it shows us the authority that Jesus has over evil, over evil in your life as well. They had to obey his command. And so there's this herd of swine, and they go out into, uh, into the pigs, and they go into the lake, and they're drowned. And so Jesus has here power over sin, power over demons, power over Satan, power over hell, power over evil. And it's a foreshadowing of his victory over evil that is to come. Because on Good Friday, Satan thought that he had won a victory over Christ when he was crucified on the cross. But on Easter Sunday morning, Jesus walks out of the tomb as the victorious warrior who had conquered sin and death and hell for all eternity. That's why in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, he says, Don't be afraid because I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of hell. And so Jesus, he conquered death through his resurrection. So I want you to notice what happens to this man. Verse 35. The people go out to see what happened. They come to Jesus. They find the man that the demons had gone out of, and he's sitting down at the feet of Jesus, and he's clothed and in his right mind, right? He's a different dude now, all of a sudden. He's not naked anymore. He's not out there howling in the, in the night, gashing himself, you know, cra- you know, just in a crazed sort of rage. It says he's sitting fully clothed at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. But notice how everybody else responds. It says everybody else was terrified. Everybody else became frightened. They were frightened of him before because of what he was previously. Now they see this man who's changed, and they're they're frightened by what they're seeing because there's this 180-degree change in this man. He's bowing in worship at the feet of the one who had set him free. And so in verse 37, they ask Jesus to leave because they know that he must have extraordinary power to do what they're seeing now. And so they're they're like, Jesus, we, we need you to get out of here. So in verse 38 and 39, the man begs Jesus to go with him, but he sends him away and says, go back to your home and tell everything that God has done for you. And so he goes, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. And so Jesus sends him back home as a changed man. And that's exactly what's about to happen for a lot of you. Semester's going to be over in a few weeks, right? You're going to go back home. Middle Tennessee or to West Tennessee or to wherever you're from and you're going to go back to your city and you're going to be a different person from the one who left because God has been at work in your life over this semester you've been a part of a Christian community here where you've been challenged and you've been growing in your walk with the Lord maybe you've been connected in a local church where you've been worshiping and you've been you've been growing So you're going to have the opportunity to go back and to fall back into old habits and fall back into old expectations of who you used to be. Your friends are going to say, hey, remember when we used to go do this? Let's go. And it's in that moment that you're going to have the opportunity to stand like this man who goes back to his village and says, let me tell you how God has changed my life. 
Are you going to be going able, able to go back home and tell all that God has done for you? It's your opportunity to take a stand, to be a witness for Christ. And so in just a minute, we're going to have a, the band come up and we're going to have a time of response. And I'm going to pray tonight that Jesus would break chains during this invitation time. Because I'm sure in a group that's this large that there are people here tonight, perhaps that, that have never trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And tonight you've heard about the, the way that sin affects us and dominates our lives and destroys our lives. But just as you saw in my testimony, as you see in this man's testimony, as you see in others around you's testimony, that God has the power to change your life tonight. If you will repent or turn from your sin and call on Jesus to forgive you of your sin, he is the one who can change your life tonight. And so during this time of response, there's going to be leaders in the back. There's people around that you can talk to. Go to one of them and say, I need to make this decision in my heart tonight to trust in Jesus, to forgive me, to change my life. There may be those that have already made that decision in their heart, but perhaps you, when you look at your life, you recognize I'm still struggling with, with some various sins in my life. And just like we saw how it worked in this man's life, that sin will work in your life in the same way if you continue to allow it instead of walking by the Holy Spirit. And so maybe you need to spend some time confessing that to God. You can do that here at this altar. You can do that at your seat by praying to the Lord and saying, God, this is, this is where I'm messing up. This is where I'm sinning in my life, and I want to confess that to you. I want to re repent of that, and I want to follow you. For everyone, as you're getting ready to go back home, this is your chance to go home a changed man, a changed woman, a witness unto the Lord. Just like this girl that was in my class, she looked at me and she said, I don't know what's happened to you. I, I want to go to wh wherever you were, I want to go see what happened over there. Maybe that's the testimony that you're going to have when you get home. With that guy you used to run around with in high school, or, or those girls that you used to, to run around with in high school that aren't living for the Lord, that are far from God, and it's your chance to be a witness unto them. And to show them how God has the power to change your life and their life.